This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. An adventure to one of the world's most remote places is something a lot of us would think of as a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So imagine travelling to seven remote places back-to-back. Because for two Aussie explorers, who just happen to be father and son, it's all in a day's work. They're about to do this. In a bit, we're going to be talking to these two. One of them is Australia's most respected explorers, and he's about to set off on an incredible two-year journey with his son. We'll hear the reason why they're doing it. It's something really interesting. Also, we're getting into rent tech later. You know those apps that you're using to apply for properties? How risky is it handing over so much of your personal information? That's coming up later. First, though, hack. If we can stop middle arm, we will stop Beetaloo and we will stop Barossa and we will stop a number of other fossil fuel projects. On Triple J. It's being sold as a groundbreaking sustainable project. But those against it are saying the opposite. They're saying it'll actually push Australia further into a climate crisis. Chances are you haven't heard a lot about Middle Arm. Unless you're from Darwin, it's a big plan to build a manufacturing and energy precinct in Darwin. It's backed by the NT government. The federal government is also backing it. And it's committed $1.5 billion to this plan, saying it'll help push forward renewable projects. But those against it say it's actually all about pumping more gas, that the governments are greenwashing here. And a group of doctors, traditional owners, as well as independent MPs, the Greens, are calling for the federal government to scrap its support. And they've taken their fight from Darwin to Canberra today. Miles Holbrook-Walk explains. The reason you're hearing ACDC blasted on speakers is because today in Canberra, people turned out to protest a planned development thousands of kilometres away in Darwin. So the development is at this place called Middle Arm. It's more or less a wharf extending out onto Darwin Harbour. It doesn't look like much at all. It's currently an industrial precinct that exports gas overseas. But the federal government wants it to get way bigger and has committed more than a billion dollars in a project aimed at creating what they say will be mostly renewable energy projects, including technology for batteries and green hydrogen. And that's where this protest and debate comes in. Is this precinct about expanding gas projects or developing renewable technologies? The opportunities for energy transition, exports and jobs are why we love Middle Arm. That's why we're building it. And the teals and trolls can spread their nonsense about it all they want. But they should know it's going to take a lot more than a couple of tweets for us to back down. Natasha Files is the Chief Minister of the NT Labor Government and is a big supporter of the project. She says it won't compromise their climate targets. We have the same net zero emissions as many other jurisdictions, the federal government and countries in the world. Net zero emissions by 2050 and 50% renewables by 2030. So that site there will allow us, there's green hydrogen, there's critical minerals, there is a number of processing plants for those critical minerals. But at the protests in Canberra today, independent politicians like David Pocock were slamming the project, saying it's just about pumping more big gas projects and it's time the federal government stopped supporting it. Labor came into government promising all sorts of things on climate change and yet they've picked up Scott Morrison's gas lead recovery and are continuing to put our money 
into expanding the gas industry. A gas industry that has zero care for Australians. Now, doctors are also weighing in, saying the climate consequences could have serious impacts for people's health. We are trying to stop middle arm to prevent exposure of people to toxic chemicals released by these harmful gas projects. We are trying to stop middle arm to prevent a climate catastrophe. Even the Prime Minister was forced to answer questions about middle arm today. Uh, one of the projects there potentially is, yes, associated uh, with, uh, with fossil fuels, but uh, five of the projects, five of the six proponents are hydrogen, critical minerals, green ammonia and solar companies. There's a lot of back and forth between the government and critics of the Middle Arm project about how much of the project will be dedicated towards creating renewable energy versus how much is about expanding gas production. Tony Wood is the director of the energy program at the Grattan Institute. I mean, most of the projects that have been talked about are still highly speculative. He reckons there is potential for the project on one hand to be crucial for green industries that can use renewable energy. I'd like to think it's to support those things there's very, very strong bipartisan support in for, and that is renewable energy in the Northern Territory to uh, make things which are compatible with a low emissions future such as hydrogen. But he's quick to point out that no government should be using public money to expand the gas industry. I would not be putting any government money into uh, something like an energy export facility. There's a lot of environmental applications this project will still need to get, and it's a long time coming before they'll be decided on. So whether the government likes it or not, the protests aren't going anywhere. Hack on Triple J. Miles Holbrook walk with that update and we'll make sure we keep you across it. There's a lot of chat in Parliament about this one. So many questions in Parliament question time, a lot of press conferences. If there are big developments, we'll make sure you know about them. Hack. Taking on grizzly bears, blistering cold and life-threatening storms, Jeff Wilson and his son lead anything but ordinary lives. On Triple Jack. What is the most extreme trip you could imagine if you were going on holiday? <laughs> Is it braving the dangerous southern ocean in a little boat, crossing the Patagonian ice cap, sledding through Antarctica, or maybe trying to get to one of the most remote places on a planet, a place they call the Northern Pole of Inaccessibility? Well, what about all of that and more? Because a couple of Australians are going to try to tick all of this off their list. It's an adventure most of us would struggle to even imagine. And one of the people doing it is Dr. Jeff Wilson. He's actually one of Australia's most accomplished explorers. He's got Guinness World Records to prove it. He's been all over Antarctica, the Sahara. He's now about to get cracking on another two-year challenge with his son, Katali. And Katali's also an explorer. Now, this project they're doing is called Project Zero, and the whole point of it is to promote carbon-neutral exploring. I'm so happy to say that I've been able to grab them for a chat before they head off this weekend, sailing off from the east coast of Australia. Dr Jeff Wilson, Katali Wilson, thanks for coming on Hack. Hey, Dave, so good to be here. Thanks for having us. Jeff, I've got to start with you. How the hell did you come up with this idea? Well, I, to be honest, I think it was Katali's fault. <laughs> so uh, this is, it's kind of like uh, the softer version of an original idea because I became a granddad and my uh, daughter was like, you know, you can't be away 
for as long as we'd originally planned. So whilst it's a two-year adventure, we do have periods uh, and gaps in between. So it's a little bit more granddad-friendly than the original idea. Oh, I mean, granddad-friendly, you're underselling it a little bit, I think. I think a major underselling. I don't know many granddads that would be doing this. Yeah, I can't imagine many people at all who'd attempt this. So did you just write a list of the hardest things you could do and then chuck them all together and say, yeah, that sounds like a good itinerary actually? Yeah, I think it was just like we needed seven challenges over a period of time that were difficult to get to to get to a point where we could showcase over that seven expedition period that we can actually explore without harming the planet. Kit, can I just get you to run through how it'll work? What's going to be the uh, the process here? What are you starting with? What are you ending with? Briefly, how's the trip going to work? Yeah, it's quite a long one, as you mentioned. It's one of the biggest expeditions that's been launched, um, at least in like a small vessel and all these different places from Australia that we know of in this carbon neutral manner. I believe from the east coast of Australia, going across all the way through the Southern Ocean to Patagonia. And once we get there, we'll do, a, me and um, Dad will do a crossing of the Patagonian ice cap, come back to Nanook, our vessel, go down to Antarctica, cross the Antarctic ice cap, and then the boat will come north, and then over the following years we'll do Iceland and Svalbard and then expedition in the Arctic. This is wild. I mean, it's like you're 22, right? Yes. So it's kind of like Kentucky tour on steroids. Yeah, I was <laughs> flying home. Actually, uh, had another 22-year-old sitting next to me, and he was like, oh, I just did a Kentucky tour. It was wild. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I can't. Maybe I should have jumped on the Kentucky tour. <laughs> Easier like, gig. Yeah. Way easier gig. You're like, oh, but, what an adventure. Hey, yeah, Kentucky. But <laughs> jumping back into where Dad was, um, what informed this, obviously – Dad's repertoire is polar exploration. So I think a lot of it is looking through that lens of what he's experienced in his lifetime. And now we're going, well, how can we explore climate change through the lens of adventure? The paradox of going into these environments is that, you know, we are able to share these environments and experience them, but we're also having an impact on them. Just as us in Sydney or in Melbourne are having an impact on these environments. But when you're in a glacier or in an alpine region, you can really see what's going on there. So, Well, I want to get into that because, yeah, like the whole point of this is to promote carbon neutral exploring, right? I think a lot of people would think of exploring as being really emission intensive, uh, hmm. you know, needing so much fuel power. How are you going to do this? That's a real, uh, really good comment in that I think a lot of people would say, well, listen, why wouldn't you just stay at home? That, well, I the, guess, yeah, the easiest way not to have an impact is to not go, I guess. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But, that's you know, what we wrestled with, it alters your perspective of how you look at everything. You know, yeah. we've, we've set this ownership of being like, we're going to have a low emission adventure in a carbon neutral um, expedition. And suddenly you realise, wow, this is a big burden. And you realize it stems into every part of your life. So we're working with, you know, uh, industrial emission strategists to build our strategy and how to offset that. But a lot of it is from the genesis of the decisions you make instead of going, okay, we're going to, you know, expel the carbon and then offset, which just isn't viable. We need to be making those decisions two or three, you know, events beforehand. But I think winding back to why not just stay at home? My industry is the veterinary industry. And we have four times the suicide rate of normal day-to-day Australians. So I've lost more friends uh, through depression, despair, anxiety than I have in the wildest of places on earth. Yeah. Um, so it is essential for human beings to dream and vision. 
But how do we dream and vision in this new era coming where everything we do is harmful? You know, until the technology catches up, we have to find a way forward where we can still dream and vision, we can still explore and be curious and want to see what's over the horizon but the whole thing that we're doing, Katali and I are trying over seven journeys to build a roadmap that we could give to any adventurer, any explorer and go, it's fine for you to explore, but the days of you having an impact on what you're exploring are over. Just to be clear, the expedition will be carbon neutral, yeah? And so what kind of technologies are you using to achieve that? In terms of technology, um, Dad can walk you through it more, but we actually have the equivalent of like two Teslas on, yeah, on, wow. our, on our vessel. So a lot of it is that energy creation and energy um, draw. Uh, so we're using solar, wind and hydropower to kind of keep our vessel uh, low emission. On the vessel itself, we have, you know, recycling. We have uh, a lot of our decisions in terms of equipment and our partners for the equipment we want on board has been influenced by what is their strategy to do with, um, you know, their emissions and their um, approach to these things. And then inevitably, we want to provide a framework that's very um, approachable for expeditions. And the reality is, People are going to have to use engines. People are going to have to use heaters when they're in the Arctic. So how can we have a metric and a way of offsetting that that's actually tangible and actually realistic? So we're working with, this isn't to do with the technology per se, but, you know, a rewilding metric for, the you know, you, you can hear about carbon offsetting and planting trees, but it's very, it's a very tricky topic because how do you measure something like that? So we're actually working on a metric to go off. If you produce this much carbon, this is how you offset that. Interesting. Yeah. It's so complicated. Honestly, the expeditioning, Dave, is the easy (laughs) Losing fingers and toes is easier than the carbon stuff. Yeah, this stuff's doing my head in. Did you do maths at school, kid, or (laughs) just checking? (laughs) You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Australian explorer, world record holder, Dr. Jeff Wilson, and his son, Katali. They're about to set off on a two-year adventure to some of the most remote places on the planet, and they're going to do it sustainably. Jeff, like I said, these are some places that most people can't even imagine of, that few people have ever been. It's also must be about surveying and seeing what's happening there because not many people get to these places in terms of climate change, uh, how climate change has affected these remote areas. Is that an important part for you? Yeah, I think understanding, Dave, that people don't protect what they can't love and you can't love something that you can't see and understand so we will be the almost forward operating station the eyes and ears for people back home uh, through Katali's filmmaking his incredible storytelling uh, but also through the live webcams that are on deck and in the cockpit so you'll be able to get on board at any point of the day when you're having a tough day a triple day and go <laughs> man I'm over this and then you look and Katali and I are shoveling a foot of snow off the deck <laughs> Uh, so you'll be there with us. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. anyone, can, like, anyone can watch on at any time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah, wow. that's right. And the, the scary thing was we were making these promises and not sure that the, <laughs> the energy, <laughs> renewable energy, was going to keep up with the demands of the modem and the, the cameras. And I'm proud to say that on the sales south, 
uh, we were producing more energy than the cameras were using. So it's looking really possible that we could run it 24-7. I think it's such an expedition of change. Like we're looking at climate change, but we're also having to change to go in these environments. One of the things that's been amazing to me is when dad first started adventuring, you know, he'd send a postcard or even just a sat phone call maybe once a week and it would be like 30 seconds. And now we're so connected which has so much beauty to it. So it's how can we use that to create dialogue around these issues? And, and that's what really excites me about this, that we're so interconnected, we can go to these incredible places and people can join us. Jeff, for those who will never do anything like this, there'll be people listening who are fascinated with this trip and they'll mm. be following along, but they probably will never experience it. When you're out on such an intense adventure, what does it feel like? Like what, what are the thoughts going through your head like when you're right in the thick of it? I think uh, for me, uh, you know, not to make it too weird and spiritual, but I, I always feel closer to God in Antarctica. I feel closer to the spirit man there because all your colour, all your scent is stripped away so you can hear your own heartbeat Wow. Um, there's very little um, colour. It's all just white or blue sky on a good day. Um, and there's no sort of external noise except for the wind. So uh, it's almost like you take all of the disturbance away and then you have to get to know yourself very, very well or you won't survive. So I'm really excited to show Katali that part of planet Antarctica. But it's also for Katali and I um, developing our relationship as father and son mm. from, you know, early expeditions where we kind of were, were uh, not working well as a team to now where I feel like we've got a real synergy, uh, Katali's strength and his ability um, to lead in the mountain areas, counted by a little bit of wisdom that I've learned along the way. Okay, so we finessed the relationship. We had have, some have blues, been... and I was like, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're in that 16, you're like 16 year old mid puberty, and you're getting dragged around some Arctic tundra. You're like, I don't want to be here. Well, I was going to say, even now, there'd be people who battle to get through the weekend together, but you two, mm. this is huge. Are you freaking out a bit about spending so much time together? Well, I mean, there's a risk in it because we have such a beautiful relationship. I, I would hate to stuff it up. And I, I've seen so many expeditions that more expeditions fail through men or women failures than equipment uh, or environment because the environment is trying to get through to your very soul. Like the wind will cut through, the cold will cut through, you know, the solitude, your isolation, feeling exposed will cut through to you. So any cracks in your relationship will be explored. So that is a risk, you know. Mm. We've got this beautiful relationship. We could just leave it in suburbia <laughs> and be safe. But I also want to take it to the yeah, next level. I think, and I don't think friction's bad. I think diet, like clear and kind communication and being in these environments is such a blessing. Um, but, you know, the burden is you are in really high intensity, really dangerous environments with one of your best friends and your dad. And that comes with, with its own burdens. Dad uses a really great metaphor when he's on expedition of uh, you start with two wolves, fear and loneliness. And when you first start, they're just little pups and you feed them. And by the end of it, they can devour you. Yeah. So it's, it's really getting comfortable with that, I think. And I feel like me and you in the past few years have just worked on our, you know, communication and been in some really high stress environments and executed so well. Um, but it's always something to be aware of. Well, you both seem pretty level-headed, pretty calm people. I think I think you'll do it. I'm Are worried you... about keeping up with him. He's pretty high, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Are you I... scared at all, kid? Like, 
having not done as much as your dad? I wouldn't say scared's the right term. I think there needs to be a vulnerability there of going, you know, a lot of my expeditions have been in the mountains, in alpine stuff, on rock. So it's going, um, there needs to be a level of trust there. When we're approaching glaciers, that's probably when I'll take the lead and, and navigate through that. But as soon as I'm on a polar plateau, you know, I have experience there, but I'm with one of the best polar explorers in the world who just so happens to be my dad. So I, I don't know if fear or trepidation is the right emotion there, but there's definitely like I'm approaching it with the idea of I'm going to have to be vulnerable and and be willing to learn on the fly with, yeah. with these things. Well, hey, you got yeah. your dad there. That's the main yeah. thing. That's all you need. Yeah. Jeff. Kit, we're definitely going to have to check in with you guys along the way. We'll be following the progress. Yeah. And absolutely at the end of it, we'll be wanting to speak again. Look after each other. Thank you so have much. Have a great time. Cheers. But thank you very much for speaking with us on Hack. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thanks for Good having to be us. Here. We'll see you when we get back. Hack on Triple Jack. And a lot of messages coming through. Someone says, yo, Dave, what are they going to eat? Well, you've got to tune in to find out. This is like the ultimate reality TV stuff where you're able to see what they're doing at every minute of the day, including what they're eating. Someone else says, how do you become a professional explorer? I'm pretty keen. Go and check out the page. So the trip is called Project Zero. It's all getting cracking this weekend. They're setting off from the Gold Coast. But if you go to Hack's Instagram, you can see more of Dr. Wilson Katali. You can also find the Project Zero page, and that's where you'll be able to follow the trip. So we're definitely going to keep checking in. Hack. People are being pressured to hand over much more data than they would in a traditional paper application. On Triple J. If you're applying for a rental right now, you're probably pretty familiar with rent tech apps, things like To Apply, Ignite. And they're often asking you for a whole lot of personal information. Do you trust them with it? Because there's some research out today about how Australians feel about data. And it turns out more are worried about the handling of their personal data than ever before, and they want tougher laws. Probably not a surprise when you consider the data breaches we've had over the last few years. We don't, though, hear a lot about the real estate industry when we're talking about data privacy and security. And digital rights advocates are trying to change that. They say we should be hearing more about it. Let's find out more. We've got someone with us now who is a digital rights advocate, Samantha Floriani from Digital Rights Watch. Hey, Sam, thanks for coming on Hack. Hey, thanks so much for having me. How valuable is the information that we're handing over when we're applying for rental properties? Oh, it's immensely valuable. Anybody who's applied for a rental anytime recently would be familiar with just how much information people are being asked for just to apply. You know, huge amounts of information. They ask for your entire life story most of the time, you know, in terms of your rental history, your work history, your um, identity documents. Some will ask for medical records or social media uh, handles. Um, I had one ask me for details about uh, my pet wanting their um, vaccination records. You know, the, the list goes on and on. And this information is, is really valuable to those companies, but it's also valuable to us. If there is a data breach, that can have huge consequences for people. I guess people don't think much about it when they're handing it over. They're just assuming, well, hopefully this is all being handled correctly. It seems like it's through official channels. Are real estate agents covered by the Privacy Act? Well, 
Actually, funny you ask that, two-thirds of real estate agents are not covered by the Privacy Act at the moment, and that's because there's a small business exemption in the Privacy Act currently. So that means that they don't have to adhere to the Australian privacy principles, which govern how our personal information is allowed to be collected and used and shared. It's essentially the, the principles that protect our, our personal information. So that's a real problem. It's funny you say that a lot of people don't um, you know, necessarily think about it or, or hope that it's being protected. I think one of the big issues with this is that because the housing, the rental housing market is so competitive and we're in the midst of a rental crisis at the moment, even when people feel uncomfortable, which a lot of people do, uh, they really have no choice but to hand over whatever the real estate agent is asking for out of fear of missing out on getting a home. Yeah, that's definitely true. People will do anything they can to secure a property. We've got a message here from Nate in Newcastle who says, I've rented recently and had to give more information than when I bought a house or when I applied applied for a visa to live overseas. But what are the other options? What other options are there? And it's a good question. What are you calling for, Samantha, at Digital Rights Watch? Because I, I noticed that you've really started this campaign to get people thinking about this. Are you speaking with governments and trying to raise awareness of this issue? Yeah, absolutely. So what we're doing is advocating for renter digital rights to better protect renter privacy, for example, and digital security. We're also calling for the regulation of the rent tech sector to make sure that there are really robust safeguards in place to ensure that, you know, it doesn't cause additional harm to renters. So there are lots of issues with rent tech, but the main concerns that we have are the, the risks that they, they create for renter privacy and digital security, as we've spoken about. You know, I think a lot of people are you know, really aware of the risks off the back of the Optus and Medibank breaches. We're also concerned about the potential for bias or unlawful discrimination when these platforms use things like machine learning or automated decision-making. Uh, we're also concerned about the ways that these platforms can be used to sidestep existing renter protections. So, for example, there are some uh, limitations on what real estate agents are supposed to be able to ask you for, but a lot of these platforms will kind of, you know, by design, encourage people to give more information than is necessary, or they might uh, have like an editable field where you can put in the rent that you're willing to pay. So they're kind of sidestepping uh, protections against rent bidding and whatnot. And then the last concern is also potential ways that these tech companies in the real estate sector can be having an impact on housing affordability in the long term. So these are pretty big issues. So what we're doing is we are participating in the current inquiries that are happening. So there's a federal one, there's one happening in Victoria and one happening in New South Wales at the moment that are looking at how the sort of rental system could be improved and protecting renters' digital rights is a key part of that. We've actually got someone on the line now. We've got Emma who's called in. Emma, uh, you work at a real estate agent, right? Yeah, I'm a licensee for uh, an independent agency on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. And and what do you think of this? I mean, have you noticed concerns from um, tenants and people about the security of their information? I guess it's something that we've been really conscious of, especially when the data breaches came out. But these apps are only one small part of it. It's also how um, an agency deals with the application. We can then download it out of Snug or out of Ignite and store it on our servers. Now, we decide not to do that because we don't want our servers to have any risk of a hack. 
But also these apps are only as good as the information we provide them. Mm. So I can specify what I want from that tenant. Right. So it really is a lot of these real estate agencies asking the wrong questions okay. to that app, to their tenants. Oh, okay. Emma, thank you very much for calling in. I guess um, the issue here is making sure there's consistency across the board, which I'm uh, guessing Samantha is kind of campaigning for. We have so many messages here, Sam. Someone says, just to look at our house, I had to use a rent tech app, which included my phone, email and check a box to allow them uh, to give that info to a third party, which in the terms and conditions included advertising. I asked just to give it on paper instead and got refused entry. That was from someone there. A a, a lot of people are concerned about this. Are are you hearing a lot more from tenants, Sam? Absolutely. People are really, really concerned and also really frustrated because as we've spoken about, people feel like they have no choice. And really in in practice, they don't, because if you do refuse to abide by whatever's being asked of you, then they'll just pass it up to another tenant. And in the current, you know, climate, that's really scary. Well, Samantha Floriani, we'll definitely be keeping track of this one. You know, you said that you're putting submissions in and trying to raise this at all levels of government, state governments, federal governments. We do know that the federal government's looking at overhauling its privacy laws, Australia's privacy laws. So we'll be keeping track of it. Uh, Samantha Floriani from Digital Rights Watch, thanks for coming on Hack. Thank you so much for having me. And someone else on the text line, always been furious about this, they say. I want to refuse to give them this data, but I need a roof over my head. It seems they can ask whatever they want and we have to provide it. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.